Okay, we are in the last chapter and the last few verses of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter. And I cannot believe that we've been looking at this letter for almost a whole year. It's a letter written to a church that's a lot like ours. It's a young, urban church in a culture that is morally very liberal, very modern, very diverse. And people were coming out of that culture into the Christian faith with all kinds of different beliefs and practices. They were embracing the Christian faith, but they had all these questions about what it meant to be a Christian and and how it affected their lives, how they should live their lives. And Paul is answering them. And so we have learned a lot about what it means to be a church, what it means to be a family of believers called out of our culture, called and gathered together for the purpose of growing in our faith and understanding of God, loving and caring for each other and being a witness to the world around us. So Paul writes this letter, and it's really a love letter. Paul, as their former pastor, has concern for them. He cares for them. He's no longer with them physically. He's moved on to plant other churches, but he's worried about them. And Paul addresses them often with some pretty strong words, but always, always in a spirit of love. He feels like their father. Listen to these verses from chapter 4. Verse 14 and 15, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is beautiful. And as he brings his letter to a close, he reminds the young, small, gifted church that they're part of a bigger church. They're not alone. There are many faithful communities just like them. And so we read these words in chapter 16, verse 19 to 21. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their home. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Now there's a lot of things I could talk about before I get to the one we're going to talk about today, but I want you to see this whole writing thing Paul wrote this with his own hand. This, right now, is the season of handwritten notes, right? We're in the greeting card season. It's Christmas. But it's a lost art. It's a lost lost form of communication. It's a beautiful tradition. There is something endearing about a handwritten note. Sometimes in resolving conflict, it's very important that sometimes it's, it's good to write down what we want to say clearly and write it down and share it with the other person. That's sometimes not a bad idea. Letter writing, 
to each other in in a marriage beautiful thing so paul wrote or finished this letter in his own hand and that tells us something about the authenticity doesn't it i mean some critics of the bible make far-fetched claims how can you trust the new testament it was written down centuries after that actual events occurred really well paul wrote this greeting in my own hand and what does that tell you the scriptures we read and hear are very reliable very authentic don't let anyone tell you otherwise now i want you to see something note the word warmly he's talking about affection and that's what we're going to talk about today affection all the brothers here send you greetings greet one another with a holy kiss affection heartfelt affection for one another see even in the last few verses there's something this letter is teaching us and we can always learn something from god's word it's true and in our day and age when the world we know seems to have completely lost its bearing when it comes to relationships this is a great word for us today very timely in a day and age when the supposedly closest of close relationships marriage are falling apart at record numbers when spousal and child abuse and bullying rates are on the increase when rhetoric even from the leaders of nations is mean-spirited self-justifying disrespectful uncaring and unkind when sexual harassment in the workplace and allegations are coming forward left right and center so much so that people are wondering well how am i supposed to treat one another god says and how timely he does through his servant paul he reminds us greet one another with a holy kiss what does that exactly mean now you're saying well that's a culture thing well yeah it's not a cultural thing it's a lovely custom by the way this isn't the only place in the new testament that says greet one another with a holy kiss paul says it at the end of his letter to the romans at his end of his letter to the second letter to the corinthians to the thessalonians and peter has it in at the end of his first pastoral letter a loving kiss now let me give you a little kissiology and try to help you understand this whole area originally a kiss was predominantly a sign of affection between men and men and women and women it was a greeting it wasn't romantic it was a greeting expression of affection in a physical manner okay and psychology tells psychology tells us that this touch touching someone else like it's really really important you've seen the bumper stickers have you hugged your kid today there's something affirming there's something positive there's something good about a touching kind of affection 
And now in our world today, there's going to be apprehension because of all the allegations we hear about in the news today. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to touch others? Should we stop showing affection towards each other? The Bible says, by no means. But it does say, make it holy. So there is the need for us to be able to demonstrate our affection. It goes a long way to breaking down barriers. You already should know this. When you were little, and you did something that hurt your sibling, one, one of your siblings, your parents made you kiss and make up. Well, maybe you didn't kiss, but they made you say you're sorry. And then they made your brother or sister hug you, touch. It's hard to touch someone you have an issue with. It's hard to touch someone you have a grudge against. It's hard to be close to someone you have a bone to pick with them. So Paul is encouraging his former church to deal with their issues, to forgive and to love each other. And he's not just paying lip service to this. He's saying wholeheartedly forgive. Kissing was an affectionate salutation. We find it all the way back in Genesis. It's mentioned about seven times in the Bible. Once in the book of Saul of Solomon was romantic kissing by the sounds of it. Once in the prophets, a kiss of a harlot, that romantic kissing. But the rest of the times it's referring to a greeting among family, a greeting, a loved one. Kissing with affection. We find it, uh, they would say goodbye and they would kiss. Sometimes when a father was going to bless his son, he'd kiss him first. Early in the Christian church, the kiss on the cheek, or even just placing cheek to cheek, you know, you've seen that, it was a basic sign of affection. They would embrace and they would do that. And it was a very beautiful thing. And it's, Still, it still is part of some cultures. For those of us who did not grow up with that tradition, I think we've lost something very important and often we have difficult time being affectionate. We've isolated ourselves in our homes, moved out to acreages, put fences up. We've insulated ourselves with our ways we communicate less face-to-face and our modern suburban society is feeling the effects. We are less comfortable with our personal space and we protect it more and more. Unfortunately, the medieval church took the holy kiss and made it a ceremony of the church They started kissing everything. They started kissing so many things that in 578 AD, one of the church councils, it was voted no more kissing dead bodies. They were kissing everything. and They stopped kissing each other and they started kissing the saints or their statues, the altar, the priest's ring, 
you can go to St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, and there Peter sits on a kind of a throne, and he's a little bit high up, and people line up, long lineups, to kiss his toe, because that's what they can reach. And the toe is so worn out from everybody kissing it and touching it, it's smoothed right down. Paul was not instituting a ceremony here. He's talking about a free expression of spontaneous love, not a forced expression, a free expression. Signs of affection are important. If you're not used to it, well, maybe you can at least start with a good warm handshake or a hand around the shoulder. I mean, that's why we shake hands after church, right? You all come to church, you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he loves us, he forgives us our sins. That means sin has been removed. We are again good with each other. We shake on it. Physical touch makes sense. Now let me tell you why this is important, why it's at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. You remember the book. Yeah, this is the church that had divisions. This is the church that they had, they had jealousy about spiritual gifts. Paul had to address. They had problems with the Lord's Supper. This was a, a church that had conflict in it. And so he's reminding them, hey, deal with your issues and show affection to one another. When the little house churches gave way to the big cathedrals, everybody started marching in and stared at the back of the head in front of them. Something was gone compared to these little house churches. Something was lost. We became spectators rather than participants. And the church became a collection of strangers. And you'd come to church and you'd say, Hey, Ethel, let's try to get in and get out of here without getting caught in a conversation. And sometimes that's what we do in church. Let's just get in and out. But it was meant always to be a family, a community. And we want, we want everybody to feel part of the family and community. And I know it's hard. But I can tell you, just because it's sometimes awkward to be part of a church, especially if you're newer and you don't know anybody, let me tell you, these people love you. Trust me on that. They do. Maybe they're a little uncomfortable showing it. We all are uncomfortable with strangers. There's different personality types. Some are more outgoing than others. Some are extroverted. Some are introverted. We have a bunch of introverts in this church. But trust me, we love each other here. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So God is encouraging. Where there's real love in the church, there will be real affection. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. It doesn't have to be a kiss. It doesn't even have to be a hug. But it should be touch. And what the apostle says... Take from the culture and sanctify it. Make it 
holy. That's what sanctify means. Devoted to God. Whoa. Make it say something about the Holy One. Include God in your hearts and in your thoughts when you greet one another with this ordinary, culturally common greeting, whatever it is. Make it holy. So when the touch of affection is given to a brother or sister in Christ, it should not be sensual. It should not be manipulative or offensive or hypocritical or in any way pretending to express affection that is not really there. It shouldn't hide any sin in our lives. It should be a holy thing. So the lesson we can learn here, whatever means of expressing greetings, let it be genuine. Holy affection. You see, our relationships in the church are to be marked by holiness. That And that means set apart, special, pure. When I think of holy, holiness, I think of words like honorable. God is honorable, respectable, kind, caring, sincere, forgiving, personal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We share the same Heavenly Father. We share the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We share the same holy, guiding, comforting spirit that lives within each of us. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22. Now that you have purified yourselves with that beautiful gospel message, confessed your sins and received forgiveness by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply, deeply from the heart. Those words are so beyond treat each other nice. They're way beyond that. When I look at each one of you, I see a precious child of God, made in his image, loved by him, provided for by him. I see someone whom Jesus bled and died for. Do you know how valuable that makes you? How dare I would treat you with any less value than what God in Christ has treated you? You see what I'm getting at? Don't treat your brother and sisters in Christ the way you think they deserve. And the powerful thing, they can get a favor, and, and the powerful thing, they can get a favor out of the vulnerable. No, no. You don't take advantage of people. You treat them the way Jesus has and still does. And so you practice loving the way amongst your brothers and sisters. You practice loving that way. And then you do the same thing to those in your home. Yep. Start in your home. Holy affection. Not because they are your flesh and blood. But because they are created by God and loved by Jesus then you go to your workplace and all those people at your workplace, regardless of how they treat you, whether you like them or not, that's not the issue. You treat them as created by God, made in his image. Whether you can still see it or not, you love them because they're loved by Jesus. And you love them with a holy love and you do the same for your neighbor and any stranger God might place in your path. Can you do this? Should you do this? Absolutely. And you start practicing in your church family. It's a great place to practice, believe me. If any place 
the forgiveness of sin should flow freely, it's here in this place. So you make it a habit, you make it genuine, you make it sincere, you make holy affection. And as you practice that in the church with the people that God has called out of darkness into their, into his marvelous light, then you will be a bearer of God's love to a world, a light shining in a dark world that so desperately needs love. So do you want to change the world? Well, yes, you do. Start one person at a time. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This, In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. We are. Now watch how this works. The Bible says God is love. Jesus is love. And now we look at the love verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading verse 4 to 8. We'll read that together. Okay, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, with the name Jesus instead of love. Because Jesus is love. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. Jesus never fails. Now ask yourself following questions to contemplate which character traits you can grow into to become a more loving person. If you have older children, have them answer the questions about themselves and about you. If you have younger children, think how you would answer the questions for them. But this really, really helps us put our love to action. Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I celebrate the success of others instead of jealousy and envying others? Am I a secure person who does not boast about myself? Am I humble instead of arrogant and proud? Are my words and actions thoughtful rather than rude? Do I allow others to have their way instead of demanding my own way? Am I easygoing instead of irritable and grumpy? Am I a forgiving person who's not resentful or bitter? Do I want good for others instead of rejoicing at wrongdoing and the suffering of others? Do I rejoice at the truth even if it exposes something bad about me? Am I a long-suffering person who bears all things in relationship with God and others? Do I believe all the things that God says? Do I continue to have hope for God to work in all things? Do I endure all things, even the toughest parts of life? Does my love for God or others keep going no matter what and not come to an end? 
and not fail. Good questions to ask ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.